Bibles, and please uh, turn with me to the uh, book of Lamentations. We'll be reading from Lamentations chapter 3. We've got Isaiah and Jeremiah, and then Lamentations, also written uh, by uh, Jeremiah, known as the, the Weeping Prophet. We'll be reading verses 19 through 26 of uh, Lamentations uh, chapter 3. And as you know, the book of Lamentations is not a great, uh, it's not known as a great book of praise uh, or something like that. It is what it's called, a lament uh, at uh, what uh, has happened to the city of Jerusalem, the people of Judah uh, being sent into exile, the city uh, destroyed. Uh, but in the midst of, uh, in the midst of Jeremiah's uh, lament here in Lamentations, we find this wonderful uh, confession uh, about the God in whom he believes and whom he trusts and in whom he hopes. And so we're going to read this together this morning. Lamentations 3, uh, beginning at verse 19, where we read these words. Remember, says Jeremiah, my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. By this I call to mind... And therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we again, we've already confessed this morning, Lord, that uh, we are dependent on your Holy Spirit for life, uh, for breath, for everything. And we're dependent on you also as uh, we seek to understand your scripture better. I'm dependent on you as I preach and we are all dependent on on you, Holy Spirit, uh, to give us ears and hearts to hear. So bless us, we pray, this day to begin a new year that we might know that we have met with the living God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm sure uh, most of you, if not all of you, uh, know uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, know of her, have read something uh, by her over the years. Uh, and uh, a few years ago, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata wrote this. Over 50 years ago, she wrote, I made a spur-of-the-minute decision to go swimming with my sister Kathy, and that day a foolish dive changed the entire course of my life. At first, it seemed that the dive that broke my neck set me on a path towards death. Even if I ever make it out of the hospital, I thought, what good can my life possibly hold? After I was discharged from the hospital, she wrote, I spent days stubbornly tucked away in a darkened bedroom. I felt there was no life beyond my door. Even when I did participate in my family's comings and goings, pressure sores or about a flu put me back in that spot of wondering when death would come. Back then, she wrote, some would have likened me to Ecclesiastes 7. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. A wise person thinks a lot about death. But later, she wrote, when I came out of suicidal depression, I realized the meaning behind this verse. Ecclesiastes 7 is really telling us to think about eternity. When I turned my focus that way, my path leading to death turned into my pathway of life. 
Yes, it was still a hard path, but it was leading me toward a glorious eternity. Just as 2 Corinthians 4 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And then she wrote this, For the last 53 years, my feet have not walked an actual path. Remember, she's a quadriplegic. My walk is a spiritual one, and so I don't focus on my visible wheelchair, arm braces, and other symbols of my earthly weaknesses. Instead, I focus on unseen things like the spirit of gratitude that God has cultivated within me, the patience I've honed, and my longing for heaven, which has eclipsed my sorrows of earth. My, uh, she writes this, um, Never did I imagine what God would do over 53 years of paralysis. Every single one of those years of quadriplegia has been lived one day at a time, sometimes so moment by moment, that I barely thought I could endure one minute more. But God has seen me through every minute. My sweetest memories are ones that inspire hope, and many of them are of life before my accident. Do you have memories, she writes, of better times, happier days? Use those, she writes, to help you look forward to the day when God will wipe away every tear and when sorrow and sighing will be no more and when joy will overtake you. Now, 53 years, she wrote this a couple of years ago, uh, writing about to not being able to walk at all, but not focusing on her wheelchair, uh, but on the God uh, of all grace. And uh, encouraging us then uh, to, in a new year, um, uh, remember that, that joy will overtake us as we put our heart and mind and focus on the Lord. Well, we're not there yet, though, are we? Uh, overtaken by joy in the Lord. And uh, perhaps as you think about our current cultural climate today, how would you describe the, the culture in which we're living in? Overtaken by joy? No. Uh, joy would not be the first word that comes to mind. First thing we want to think about from this passage is uh, the question, are you burdened by the trials of today? Well, certainly Jeremiah was. Jeremiah 3.19. Remember, he says to the Lord, my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul, says Jeremiah, a believer, continually remembers it uh, and is bowed down within me. Now, we need to remember, of course, that Jeremiah is uh, writing uh, at the time when the old covenant community has just experienced great judgments, the fall of Jerusalem, exile of Judah in 586 B.C. Uh, I didn't read the whole chapter, uh, but just to give you a little sense of what's been happening, uh, this is the kind of things we read about earlier in this chapter. I am the man, verse 1, says Jeremiah, who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He's driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again uh, the whole day long. Uh, verse 6, he has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He's walled me about so that I can't escape. He's made my chains heavy. Verse 10, he is a bear. Think about describing the Lord this way. He's a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. Verse 13, he drove into my kidneys the arrow of his quiver. Verse 17, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So this is Jeremiah the believer in Lamentations. And yes, he remembers the wormwood. 
the gall, the affliction, uh, the wanderings, his soul is continually remembering all this turmoil and trouble. And yet the point is that, that along the way here in chapter 3, there is a glimpse of hope. Uh, a couple of things just off the top, of, top are, 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 are hopeful, of course, that the people still exist. Uh, the people of Israel are still there. They're still existing and they still are able to uh, call upon their relationship to God. They do have a covenant relationship to God so they can call out to him in prayer. And that's what Jeremiah is doing right now. All is not all is not lost. But right now, Jeremiah here in Lamentations three, this uh, believer is is overwhelmed and burdened by the trials of today. That's Jeremiah. It's hit home to me uh, how believers can struggle this way. A couple of years ago at Christmas time, uh, when uh, we received a Christmas card in the mail from one of my dear friends at, at seminary, and uh, they were, you know, talking about the year that's passed, as those letters do. And and then later to the end of the letter, uh, this this man who's been a faithful minister for over 20 years, who I knew well, just started at the end of the letter to talk about how he has been uh, so weighed down and burdened by the ministry, and was um, was leaving. Uh, the ministry because of the the burdens that he was he was bearing and I thought oh no feeling the the weight it bows us bows us down now Jeremiah was so discouraged as he dwelt on the affliction and misery he could say things like this in verse 17 my soul is bereft of peace I have forgotten uh, I've forgotten what happiness is has that been you sometimes I've, I've forgotten what, you know, I've just been used to this, these burdens so long, I've forgotten what it even means to have happiness as a believer uh, in God. Well, Jeremiah had seen lots of suffering and destruction. In this chapter, it's destruction brought on by the sin of the people. Now, of course, there's other kinds of turmoil. There's other kinds of suffering as well. And God's people, God's people struggle. You may be surprised, but one of the people who uh, describes the, you know, the struggle of the Christian and being burdened by the turmoils of, of today, one of the best people to describe that was John Calvin. He wrote of Jeremiah this way. He, Jeremiah, does not speak through some inconsiderate impulse as though he was suddenly carried away as many things happened to us, which we've had no thought of. But he, he speaks what was, as it were, fixed in his mind. So Jeremiah's given careful thought to this, says, says Calvin. He, He's not just lying off the cuff in his grief. As he said, perished has my hope and strength from Jehovah. It's evident, says Calvin, that his faith was not slightly shaken, but had wholly failed. The prophet, writes Calvin, was then fully persuaded that he was forsaken by God. But what does this mean, writes Calvin? We ought indeed to maintain this, that faith sometimes is so stifled that even the children of God think they're lost. And then it's all over with their salvation, wrote Calvin. There's no doubt but that the prophet also expressly reminded the faithful that they ought not to despair. Though despair laid hold on their minds, or though the devil tempted them to despair, but that they ought then especially to struggle against it. This is indeed, says Calvin, I allow a hard and perilous contest. But the faithful ought not to faint even when such a thing happens to them. That is, when it seems to be all over with them and no hope remains. But on the contrary, they ought nevertheless to go on hoping. And that indeed, as the Scripture says elsewhere, against hope or even above hope. 
writes Calvin. Yes, Christians uh, struggle. So when we remember affliction, when we dwell on affliction, we also give the devil, the Bible says, an opportunity to cause us to grow discouraged and despair of all help. You know, I remember um, ministering before, uh, before COVID in California, and I remember meeting with, uh, you know, we had a Reformed Ministerial Fellowship. We'd meet every couple of months, and I remember distinctly that before COVID came, and that's all everyone talked about, in California at least, everyone was talking about the fact that uh, so many people were committing suicide, and uh, professing believers were committing suicide in California, and, and pastors in Southern California. I remember distinctly of a very large church in Southern California. That's what we were discussing right before COVID. That there can be great, uh, great despair, even in the hearts uh, of believers. And so Paul says to Timothy, you've got to fight the good fight of the faith. Uh, there's a battle for our minds and Jeremiah knows it. That's why we must take captive every thought, every thought we have to make it obedient to Christ. What is what I'm thinking right now? How is this in obedience of subservience or submission to what I know about Jesus? It's a battle for our minds. Oh, what peace we often forfeit, the hymn goes. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And this is exactly what Jeremiah proceeds to do. So first we see, yes, he's troubled by the the trials of today. But then he takes everything to God in prayer. So think about this. Are you full? Not only uh, are you concerned about the trials of today, are you full of care with the worries of tomorrow? Now, this can often hit us, of course, uh, right around this time of year as we think about 2023. Now, for Jeremiah, we find out that his affliction, his humbling, his being bowed down, does not, in fact, drive him away from God, we find out, but it actually uh, drives him to God. People turn away from God when they are self-satisfied, when they are secure in themselves. That's when you turn away from God. When we are trusting in our own strength, our own ability, and our own power, and our own wisdom, and our own know-how. That's when we turn away from God. That's when we stop going to worship. That's when we stop studying God's Word. That's when we stop praying. It's when we become self-satisfied that we don't need God. And we don't have anything to thank God for. Because, of course, we're doing it all ourselves. You know, there's a great misconception about the history of America... Um, contrary to popular belief, after the American Revolution, churches and church attendance uh, in the United States uh, witnessed a great decline after the Revolution. A great decline in worship. Um, Early 19th century, 1820s or something like that is when Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote his famous essay, South Reliance and everything, you know, in literature in America in many ways since then has had that theme. Self-reliance. And when you trust in yourself, you turn away from God. You're not driven to God. You, you go away. But Jeremiah's not driven away in his sorrow. He's driven to God because he knows how helpless 
He is. Think of those who rejected Jesus in the Bible. Uh, they were religious, yes, but they were, they were self-sufficient. The religious leaders didn't think they needed Jesus. It's not that they didn't have knowledge. They knew the Bible. They'd gone to church. They thought they knew an awful lot about God. But of course, Jesus at one time would say to them, well, you search the Scriptures because you think that, that in them you have eternal life. But the Scriptures speak of, speak of me. Yesterday, our family, uh, this past week, uh, Lisa saw online someone nearby, a church was having a trip to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, and they had extra tickets. And so we thought, oh, this, is, this seems like a wonderful opportunity. Sure, they, they seem cheap, and, uh, and I'm Dutch after all. And so, um, you know, included the bus ride, and we thought, oh, this will be fun on a bus. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't fun on the bus. But anyway... We went to the Museum of the Bible, and I said to some of the kids at the beginning, I said, well, take a look at what happens here. And just remember that, you know, the Bible talks about how the Bible is supposed to be all about Christ. And so let's, let's look at the Museum of the Bible and see what happens. And the thing is, you've got all sorts of Bibles, you've got all sorts of uh, facsimiles of, of, of manuscripts and, and some of the history of the Bible and that kind of thing. But for a great, great part, that museum just treats the Bible as a historic artifact and doesn't point people... Uh, to Christ. Oh, it does in the New Testament section. How can you not? But for the rest of the museum, uh, it treats the Bible as if in the Bible itself, for instance, there would be things on the wall that would say, you know, the Bible, uh, whatever your faith, the Bible can serve as a transforming power in your life. Wrong. Only Jesus transforms you because like the, the Pharisees, you can study the Scriptures all your life. And miss the Savior. And you don't want to do that. And you don't want to give people the impression that you can read the Bible apart from submission and faith in the Savior. You see, He's the one uh, that transforms life. So, so Jeremiah does, isn't pushed away. Isn't that interesting? He's not in his trial and tumult and bowed down in his soul. He's not pushed away from God. Oh, he, he draws near to Him. He's driven to Him. Think about who came to Jesus in the New Testament. Those who knew that they were weak and helpless sinners, the blind, the lame, the deaf, the broken-hearted, grieving, friendless, outcasts, bowed down people. Friends, it's exactly those like Jeremiah, filled with cares and concerns and fears and worries, who look in hope to God. Listen to Calvin again. For all who devour their own sorrows and do not look to God, Kindle more and more the hidden fire, which at length suddenly turns to fury. Hence it comes that they clamor against God, as though, he says, they were doubly insane. But he who is conscious of his own infirmity and directs his prayer to God will at length find a ground of hope. See, when you're bowed down, trials and cares, hope is found not in turning to yourself, rejecting God but in turning to God. And this is what Jeremiah knew. Now, verse 19 is really, uh, as you would have noticed, it's really a prayer of Jeremiah asking God to do something. Remember, he's saying to God, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. Remember how I am bowed down and weak and afflicted and have mercy upon him. And in turning to God, here's the thing, in turning to the Lord, Jeremiah calls something to mind. Notice what he says. But this I call to mind, verse 21, and therefore I have hope. 
because I believe this, I understand this, and I'm bringing this back <laughs> into the forefront of my thinking, I've got hope again. What is it? Well, verse 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are, the Bible says, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So in his trial and struggle and bowed down situation, he remembers something about the truth of the character of God. In a time of trouble or despair, friends, the answer is not to look to ourselves to do better or to try harder. That's why New Year's resolutions fail. Because you can't change your nature. We need to look to God. You know, you know how that goes, right? Okay, I'm going to stop I'm going to stop eating sweets in 2023. I'm going to Okay, I'm going to I'm going to exercise more. Uh, I'm committed to this. It's going to happen. Uh, I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to give up uh, sin. I'm not going to talk back to my parents in 2023. Wrong. Lose. Fail. Uh-uh. And the reason they fail, of course, is because that we can't uh, change our own nature. <clears throat> and that our hope is not in our resolutions to do better. But that our only hope uh, is in God, of course, to change us. By His power and by His by His gracious work in our lives, by the Holy Spirit. So what is it about God that, that is so important to Jeremiah? Well, His steadfast love uh, never, uh, never ceases. Uh, another word could be translated His faithfulness. His faithfulness, His steadfast love, His covenant love for His people never ceases. He never fails. And His mercies uh, never come to an end. Uh, elsewhere in the Scripture... The Bible will say, because this is true, because he's faithful, his mercies never come to an end. Uh, that means for his people, uh, you are not consumed. Right? Because our sin demands God's wrath, but because he's faithful to his covenant, because he's merciful, we are not consumed every time we sin by the wrath of God. So because he's merciful, because he's faithful, we have life. Uh, we can put it this way, the shelf of God's love and mercy and faithfulness uh, is never empty. You never go to God and find that the shelf of mercy is empty. And the reason I use that image of the shelf uh, is because uh, I remember years ago, my wife and I went to Costco one day in California, and we needed toilet paper. Okay? We needed toilet paper. Maybe you were in that experience. I don't know. But we heard that Costco had toilet paper. And so we get into line outside Costco, and the line goes around the building. And so we wait patiently in line outside. And, uh, and then we get in. And then we go towards the section. And then there's a line to the section for the toilet paper. And we get in that line. And, uh, and we wait. And we wait. And we go around the corner. Around the corner, we're getting closer. Getting closer and closer and closer to the toilet paper section. And we get around to the toilet paper section. And, uh, uh-oh, we can see it coming. The pallets are almost empty. And, uh, and, 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 and there's five, and there, there's four, and there's three, and two, and, and there's one lady in front of us who, uh, who picks up the last package of toilet paper. 
and leaves. And then it's us. And there is nothing left for us. Have you ever had that experience? That's kind of trivial, isn't it? But it wasn't at the time. Not. We waited in line. Nothing left for us. What are we going to do? That never happens with the love and the mercy of God. The shelf is never empty. You will never, you will never come to God seeking His help and mercy and Him saying, sorry, no more mercy for you. I'm all out. Gave it to the last person who, who begged me for forgiveness. Sorry. Oh. No, Jeremiah knew that. That day will never come because His mercies, that is His compassion, never fails. And this is what Jeremiah knows. Uh, they are new every morning. Or they're renewed every morning. Every morning he woke up, uh, there was a new sense again of the mercy, the faithfulness, and the love of his God. Every day, new morning mercies. Every year, uh, new morning mercies. That's why it's good. It's good on a, the end of the year to get together with your family or friends or whatever it is and, and to talk about why you are thankful for what God has done in the year. Why do you do that? You do that so that on New Year's Day, January 1st, when you wake up, you know again. New every day. Mercies today. All that I have from Him is due to His love and mercy and faithfulness. I don't know if you worry about tomorrow. Do you ever worry about tomorrow? You ever worry about the next year? Ever worry about um, you know what's going to happen in the United States of America? In 2023, ever worry about we might go to war? Ever uh, worry about the church, this church? Ever worry about, you know, um, what's going to happen or what God might do or not do? Ever worry about your own family? Ever worry about your marriage or your finances and, um, you know, costs of everything are going up? Ever worry about your children or your grandchildren? Are are they going to walk with the Lord? Are they going to know Him? Are they going to profess faith in Christ? Ever worry about your own health? You know? And the doctor's visits coming and the treatment coming and or maybe things you don't even know about. We don't know what's going on inside our body even today. That might be revealed in a month or two. You ever worry about any any of those things. Well, Jeremiah knew that each day has its mercies. And you can trust, as you head into a new year, God with your tomorrows. Because He is faithful today. He'll be faithful tomorrow. He will be faithful forever. He's been merciful in the past. He's merciful today. And He will be merciful uh, tomorrow. Why? Because Jeremiah knew in his heart that the love of the Lord never ceases and His mercies never come to an end. So He has planned for tomorrow. 
But the Bible says, don't bring tomorrow's troubles into today. Right? Because today has enough trouble of its own. Whatever troubles will come tomorrow, well, there'll be new morning mercies for that trouble, you see. One day, day by day, and with each passing moment, trusting in Him. Now, finally, that, of course, leads to a great therefore. <clears throat> That's all true about the character of God. His love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. You know that the Bible is going to give us some kind of therefore. And it led to a therefore in uh, Jeremiah's mind. Verse 21, he says this, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And then he tells us something about the character of God in verses 22 and 23. That's what he stuffs in his mind. He's filling his mind with excellent things, not with television or downloading, streaming, all these kind of things. He's filling his mind with truth about the character of God. And then he says this in verse 24. Because all this is true about God, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. And so this is our last question. We said, are you burdened with the trials of today? Uh, are you worried about what's going to happen tomorrow? The last question is, are you putting your hope in Him? Because that's what the character of God led to in the life of Jeremiah. Boy, oh boy, because I know His mercies don't end. Uh, his love never fails. Uh, whatever's going to happen in the year to come, um, I've set my mind on it and I can hope in Him. I'm reminded that at the end of 2022, the beginning of 2023, of a passage in the book of Romans where the Apostle Paul uh, is speaking about the current uh, suffering uh, in his world and in his day and the groaning of the creation. Uh, it goes like this in Romans 8, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And then he says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning, groaning together, in the pains of childbirth until now. Tornado, hurricane, flood, tsunami. The whole creation groaning. And not only the creation, says Paul, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that it's seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so have you felt the creation groaning perhaps this past year? Things aren't right. Uh, Jeremiah felt it in his day as God's people were taken away into exile. The Apostle Paul felt it as the godless Roman emperors held sway over the then known world in Romans 8. Calvin and Luther felt it as the world of the 16th century was engulfed in false teaching, biblical ignorance, and surrounded by darkness and superstition. They felt the groaning. Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield felt it uh, as they observed nations and churches awash 
in spiritual apathy in the 18th century. They felt it. And we feel it today. Violence and division and anger and rebellion against God in our land. Persecution of the church. Apathy in the church. Where you yourself may have said at one time with Jeremiah, my soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. Is that you? Andrew Peterson has a beautiful hymn. It's called, Is He Worthy? The first two verses remind us of the groaning world and the third of the promises of God. It goes like this. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Second verse. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good, as Jeremiah did, is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Oh, it is. And then the third verse. Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? He does. And does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Therefore, says Jeremiah, I have hope. Because the Lord is my portion. That means the Lord is my food. The Lord is the one and His character and His goodness, His mercy, His love. He's the one I feed my soul with. Not Fox News, not CNN News, not MSNBC News, uh, not the newspaper. Uh, My portion is the Lord. I eat up the truth of His love and of His mercy, says my soul. And therefore, I will hope. In Him. Are you putting your hope in Him this year? Oh boy. We don't know what the Lord's going to do. Don't know what will happen in your life or in your family or in the church uh, or in the nation. There's an awful lot of things we don't know. But we do know this. uh, That uh, His steadfast love never ceases. And His mercies never come to an end. And so the shelf will never be empty when you come as a needy, helpless sinner, humble before God, saying, Lord, like Jeremiah, Lord, have mercy on me. And I'm going to call these things to mind about my God in 2023. And then I will live with hope in Him. May that be true of you. Uh, May that be true of me. For His glory and for our good. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we confess uh, this morning... That we are a forgetful people. Oh Lord, we, uh, we forget your love and we forget your mercy and we forget your faithfulness. And yet here we're uh, reminded today, even as Jeremiah called these things to mind that filled him with hope in his life. Oh Lord, you graciously call them to our mind today too. Lord, that your steadfast love never ceases. It, your mercies, your compassion never comes to an end. So, Lord, we pray simply today that we, whoever we are this morning, would see our need for that mercy that never fails. 
O Lord, convict us that we are not self-sufficient, we are not self-reliant, but we are completely dependent on the sovereign and gracious and merciful work of our God in Christ through the Holy Spirit today, tomorrow, this week, this month, the year to come, and indeed, Lord, every day of our life. And every day as we wake up, Lord, may we know that there are new morning mercies for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.